0: Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, host of the Reclamation Society podcast. Today, we're discussing Marvel's Captain America Civil War. As always, we're going to take a deep dive into what the storytellers are telling us is true and the major and minor themes weave throughout the episode. We focus primarily on spirituality, human nature, and relationships with some other topics tossed in. As always, this podcast will contain spoilers. If you haven't seen Captain America Civil War yet, you might want to do so prior to listening in, unless you're just not worried about spoilers at all. Um, Also, we do talk a little bit about the comic book series, um, Captain America Civil War, or I should say Civil War. So just be aware of that as well. That might be a little bit of a spoiler for you. Before I get started, I do want to mention that we'd love for you to support the Reclamation Society. We are a nonprofit and all donations are tax deductible. Donations contribute to the production of our stories, these podcasts and our blog posts. So visit www.reclamationsociety.org/give to become a supporter. I know now is the time for year-end giving so you can still count it towards your taxes. So please do so and give to us if you can. We do have some exciting news now to report. The Reclamation Society podcast has its first sponsor. Urban Vinyl, a premium headphone startup, has officially become a sponsor for the Reclamation Society podcast. And Here's why that's awesome. If you purchase headphones from Urban Vinyl and use the link in the description of this podcast, three things happen. One, you get a set of premium wood headphones. And that alone is amazing because these headphones are completely legit. They're made for audiophiles, so if you're an audiophile or if you just need new headphones and you like to have really good sound quality and look cool, these headphones are fantastic. Two, you get a 15% discount for buying them using our link. That means you win in this case. Also, we win because three, Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society every time you buy a pair of headphones. That's completely ridiculous. Um, But we're very excited to have Urban Vinyl as a sponsor, so special thanks to them. For more info, click the link in the description. Um, They are also regular listeners, so special shout out to them. Um, So go buy some Urban Vinyl headphones or buy some for a friend, Christmas is coming up, and listen to the Reclamation Society podcast in style. Okay, joining me on the podcast today is award-winning author Bobby Nash. Bobby writes comics, novels, screenplays, some of which we'll briefly introduce to you in a moment. And we're very excited to have Mr. Nash on the show today. And as always, we love to hear from you too. So if there's something you'd like to contribute, shoot me an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com and I'll read it on a future podcast. If you're listening and you think, wow, they got it wrong, or there's just something else that we missed, please let us know. Reclamation Society. At gmail.com. We also just opened up an MZ account. So I'll talk about MZ a little bit more at the end of the podcast, but you can also join our discussions on MZ, which is a new social media very similar to Reddit. And we'd love to invite you to join our group there. Just search for the Reclamation Society. And finally, Will you do me a personal favor? Will you submit a review of this podcast to iTunes? It won't take you very long, and we really appreciate you doing so. It allows other people to find it and be more interested in it, so we would love for you to review our podcast, and thank you in advance for doing that for us. Okay, that's a long intro, but now let's dive into Captain America Civil War. Bobby, thank you for joining me today. I'm really glad. This is, I think, the first time we've actually had the opportunity um, to talk, right? We've been friends for a long time on social media, but I don't think we've ever talked before.
1: Yeah, this is the first time we've talked in person, so yeah. it's really cool to put a voice to the face.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's fantastic. So let's tell the folks a little, a little bit more about yourself. What are some of the things, who is Bobby Nash and what do you do?
1: Well, as you mentioned earlier, I'm a writer. I, uh, I write novels, comic books, I've dabbled in screenplays, uh, short stories, whatever. You know pretty much if publishers are hiring me to write it I'm there. Um, you know it's kind of it goes along with the business side of things, you know and uh, so yeah, so that's what I do. I, I write a lot.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And uh, so for someone who isn't familiar with your work, but you'd like to introduce them to uh, your, the Bobby Nash kind of catalog of works, what would you recommend to a comic book fan?
1: Oh, uh, well, it's um, probably two that come to mind uh, right off the top of my head. Were uh, Last year we did an adaptation of Ed Rice Burroughs novel at the earth's core for dark horse uh, Artist, The artist in the book was Jamie chase and it's, Absolutely. Gorgeous book. Um, and those are still out and available and easy to find. Uh, so that one's certainly one. Uh, any of the Domino Lady comics I've written in the last few years for Moonstone, those are probably a good pick as well.
0: Awesome. And what about the novel fans that are out there? Who What would you recommend to the folks that like novels?
1: Probably Evil Ways. Evil Ways was my first published novel, and and I've written several novels since then, but it, that was my first, and it's probably the novel that's most pure me. Mm. Uh, and by that I mean that was I wrote that when I didn't understand how the business worked. I didn't know you know really anything about publishing. All I knew was I wanted to write a book, and so I wrote this novel not knowing that oh you're not supposed to do that or oh that you know people their you know, publishers don't like it when you do this and. So it's probably the most it's just pure my creativity being thrown against the wall
0: that's awesome, and that's yeah. the kind of a that's kind of a dream right to be able to do like kind of whatever you want with your stories
1: yes, yes, because yeah, there was no one saying, "Nope, can't do that, nope, why'd you do this and well until it got to the editing stage, you yeah. know once it got to the publisher and you know but yeah it was it was it was very uh interesting, it was an interesting experience for me. It was a nice uh, experiment because I had never – I had attempted writing a novel once before, but this was the first time I wrote one, finished one, sold one, and uh, I learned a lot doing it. And I think that you know that's the one that kind of has pushed a lot of that going forward. And it's got a lot of positive feedback over the 10 years. It's uh, 11 years now it's been out. Evil Ways is a nice mystery thriller. mm um, so I don't actually, there's a killer and a lot of dead bodies and, you know, a lot of action and mystery and intrigue, but I don't tell you who the killer is. You kind of have to figure it out along with everybody else. And all the clues are there. And, you know, I wanted to make sure I played straight with the audience. Yeah, that's perfect. You know, that's awesome. I hate when you get to the end of a mystery and the person solving the mystery, the one clue that, that solves it for them is one we never saw.
0: Right. Exactly. I hate that. So highly recommend that to everybody listening. Um, go check out Bobby's works. Now, one of, the, one of the works that you've been involved with that I would actually like to read, and I haven't got a chance to yet, which is uh, my bad, but is the, the Lance Star stuff that you've been involved in, because I've been a big fan of The Rocketeer, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems really in alignment with that. So I'm looking forward to picking that up one of these days. Oh, maybe maybe for Christmas this year I'll have to do that.
1: Hey, and you're in luck. My the, the all of the Lance Star stories that I've written uh-huh. were just collected in one volume.
0: Oh, excellent! That's awesome. So, what's the name of it?
1: Uh, it's The Adventures of Lance Star Sky Ranger by Bobby Nash.
0: Oh, super cool! I yeah. will have to check that out for sure. Um, yeah, so, anybody listening, uh, also go check out Bobby Nash's stuff. Most of it's available on Amazon.
1: Sure, almost everything. Okay, yeah.
0: perfect, perfect. And what's your website? Just so people have your website too.
1: Uh, it's an easy one. It's just Um There's links all over it to finding things. So.
0: Perfect. That's that's awesome. The easier the better, right?
1: <laughs> I try to keep things as simple as
0: possible. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> all right, so let's dive into our first topic here. So we're talking about Captain America Civil War, as I mentioned before. This film spends a lot of time exploring the concept of self-control and accountability Which is sort of ironic, because self-control is sort of a Hulk thing, and he's not even in the film, but um, this film dives into that. And uh, obviously, self-control and accountability are pretty relevant topics today. So for example, when you see the Black Lives Matter movement versus the police brutality, and there's been a lot of a call for responsibility and accountability and more self-control. So the movie comes out at a time when this is kind of a a topic within our culture, which is... um, Very interesting and, I think, good timing for us to be dealing with these kinds of things. So whatever your stance on that particular issue is, this film presents us with an interesting dilemma, which is the relationship between self-control and accountability. And the film kind of sets up this dynamic where Captain America wants autonomy. Um, He wants to maintain self-control. He sees himself as a disciplined person and sees government or um, even United Nations oversight as an inhibitor to the Avengers. And on the other hand, Tony Stark is looking for accountability and wants accountability, whether because of guilt or whatever other reasons he feels, he feels like they should, the Avengers should have more accountability. So the first question for you, Bobby um, is whose side are you on here? Are you team cap or team Stark? uh, And why?
1: I am team cap. I, 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 you know, not only because he's one of my favorite characters but I I t- Tony especially in the MCU is uh what he's doing here is very much a do as I say don't do as I've done. Mm. Cuz if you think about it all this happens because of you know is a result uh, a response to Ultron's attack on Sokovia. Right. Who created Ultron? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um so there's a, there's a lot of a lot of you're right I, you mentioned the word guilt and I think that's what a lot of it is.
2: Mm.
1: A lot of people have died in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and a lot of that has been some direct and some tangentially a, re- a result of Tony Stark's actions.
2: Mm.
1: And Tony, the character of Tony since Iron Man 1 that character has grown probably the most in the MCU, I think.
0: Yes. Yes, and very
1: much so. So the, t- like, the Tony in Iron Man 1 or Iron Man 2 would probably not have been for uh, wanting this accountability. Remember, this is the guy that stood up in front of, uh, in front of Congress and says, you can't have my stuff. I privatized <laughs> world peace don't touch my, my armor.
0: That's right. That's exactly right.
1: Right. So there's been a big shift in Tony from that moment to what happens in Civil War. And it's a big character growth moment that happens over multiple films. And But he's probably changed the most of any character in the MCU. I, I don't think he's right because you know, at As Cap says in the movie, you know, Steve says that he sees how government works now. Mm -hmm. He sees that that things are happening in a way that he's not always comfortable with. But I think it's not that he's afraid that the government's going to ask the Avengers to go in and solve a problem. I think Cap is more worried about the, you know, saying, uh, hey, you know, I see... This warlord in Southeast Asia, you know, is doing something and he's, he's like enslaved the local populace and he's making them dig in his mines and that's wrong and we're going to go stop it. And then the UN goes, no, you're not. Right. I think think that's where his problem comes in. He doesn't want to be told that, hey, there's a problem out there, but you can't do anything about it. Mm. And so to me, that's a big struggle. On cap side, so yeah, so I, I feel more t- team cap on this. In a cinematic world, in a fictional world, right? In the real world, and this was an example that was used uh, that was posed when the, the original Civil War comic came out several years back. That if you're at a say you're at a comic convention, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden. Ten guys in full body armor, masks, full suits, helmets can't see their faces. They walk in with full automatic weapons and they take up position around the convention center. And they say, "We are here to protect you."
0: Mm.
1: Do you really feel protected?
0: (laughs) Right.
1: Their point was to the to the to the Tony Stark side of the argument was. If Captain America and all and, and the Avengers show up. Now, in the comics, the, their identities at that time were not well known, you know. The movies have taken it to where, oh, everybody knows Steve Rogers is Captain America, you know. But everybody knows Tony Stark is Iron Man. But what if guys show, you know, what if ten guys showed up in Spider-Man costumes? You don't know who he is, but they're all brandishing weapons mm. and they're there and they're we're here to protect you. Do you really trust those people?
2: Right. So in a
1: world, in the real world, it's a little more iffy. Right. We, we tend to side with the, with the heroes in the movies because we get to see what the public doesn't. We get to see their lives and the backstory. We get to know the characters. To, to the, the public at large, most of the events of these movies are not known. All they know is the robots attacked Sokovia. Right. And killed a bunch of people. All they know is aliens attacked New York. They don't know that the government tried to nuke New York. You know. Right. They don't, yeah, they don't necessarily know that Tony Stark created Ultron. They just know Ultron was a bad guy that did bad things. So in the real world, yes, I would be. I would probably be a little more for they need some kind of control. But I don't want I don't want my movies and comics to be all about them arguing over. No, we got to go over here and stop this bad guy. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. So I, I actually your your response is super insightful and I and I really like it. I I actually um, for the most part I'm right on board with you because I feel like I also lean towards Cap's view. I'm also sort of team Cap on this one. And I mean, you brought it up. Like we know more about them than you might otherwise know because we see all the backstories and things that are going on in their lives. Um, and I do, think, I do think that one thing that um, is really helpful in real life is that, in fact, in, even in our government, the way that our government works, we have all of these checks and balances so that no one entity becomes too powerful. And, you know, freedom and liberty are great concepts, um, but I would also contend that since we're human beings and are incapable, in my, in, from my worldview, of being perfect, that inevitably means we're going to do something wrong, even if it's just a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so while I value freedom and liberty immensely, I also think there's something to be said for oversight. And so how does that work with the Avengers? I'm not sure, because obviously, like, you, like you're talking about, if they all of a sudden said, here's a warlord halfway across the world is doing something really bad. If they had to stop and wait a month to discuss whether or not that was something that they should go address. I mean, you really hamper their ability to engage in world events. Well, so just
1: imagine, just imagine if you and I, just the two of us were to sit here and we see something going on. That's just there's This is a problem pick. Right. We'll, we'll stick with the warlord and who's, Enslave this country, right, uh, say you and I we see this happening on the news. we know it 's a bad thing, so you and I just gear up, get on a plane, fly over there, boom 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 boom, you know, do whatever we do, right, to try to rescue those people. One, we might start a war <laughs> right that draws the entire our entire country into it that 's a small possibility if you and I do it. if a guy named captain America. <laughs> <laughs> attack this warlord and fails. They're gonna retaliate not against Captain America. They're gonna they're gonna say it's this is Captain America. Yeah. So America must have sent him. So I so the, yeah, so you can see both sides of it. Right. But it's it's yeah, it's one of those things that's uh you know, in fiction though I don't want to see them arguing for months about to go beat the crap out of the bad guy.
0: Yeah. That would be pretty boring, I think. Yeah. That'd be the artist would have a tough time with that one. Just people sitting yeah. around a table.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. What you yeah, cuz you know, yeah, you don't need to have one issue of a comic you know, or or 20 minutes of the movie just be guys going like, but there's a bad guy. But but we don't want to <laughs> hurt, you know, it, it, you know yeah, yeah, exactly. we don't want to be...
0: Exactly. So, this film tackles the issue of self-control from several angles. And we mentioned um Tony Stark realizing how much pain the Avengers have caused. We talked a little bit about his um, perhaps his guilt motivation. And I think you brought, you bring up his character development was fantastic. Cause that's something that didn't even click in my mind. Um, there's also Bucky who has been brainwashed to the point where he can be manipulated and controlled. So he loses all self control when he, when that happens. And then even vision implies that the crystal, uh, at least to a certain degree, controls him. And then he says like one day he hopes to control it. So I think this has some spiritual implications and it Mm -hmm. forces us to dig deeper into how we view the issues issues from a personal and a societal standpoint. So here's the, here's the kind of the, the deeper question. Um, do we have a completely free will and are, um, all choices up to us or are there other forces at play that decide our fate for us? What do you think about that?
1: Wow. Um,
0: that's a heady question. <laughs> it is. It is. That's what we do on this show. We get yes. crazy deep.
1: I I do think we have free will, but there's always that but. <laughs> the problem is, is our free will, our choices that we make because we have free will are based on the situation we're in. Mm. So forces at play, Can't you can't separate the two, you can, you know, because – I can sit here in my comfy little office and make decisions all day long that impact no one but me.
2: Hmm.
1: But if I had to make the same decisions in a war zone, I have other people to think about. Right. Or if I was in an office, my decisions would, you know, have implications, you know? So, yeah. So you have free will, but you also have your free will is, is, Dependent on where you are and what you, you know, like what's the old saying? You can't shout fire in a theater. Right, right. Because uh, there, there are there. Free will is great, but there are consequences to whatever you do. Exactly. You know, free will, free speech, free anything; those are great, and we all have them. But that also means the person you're you're free speaking or free willing against has those same rights as you. Yep. Or or someone has the right to go, no, you're wrong. And, you know, all you got to do is look at Facebook and you'll see that all day long. <laughs>
2: that's right. Um,
1: so, yeah, I, you know, but you're right. I think that's a, a wonderful way of looking at this movie. And there's other characters in there that have these control issues, too. Right. I mean, Scarlet Witch is all about control. She has to be in control to do what she does. And when her control wavers, people died. That's right. So then it's the choice of, do we keep her locked up? Or the choice on her is, do I stay here? Right. Um, so when Clint comes to get her to, quote unquote, rescue her from the vision, you know, there's a moment where Wanda's not sure if she should leave or not. Right. So, so we all have these choices. Certainly, the Black Widow is faced with a lot of choices in this movie. Um, and here's where the spoilers come in, where she switches sides. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, the Black Panther is, he, ha, he is on one course the entire movie, and that's revenge, until he gets to the end and sees, you know, when he, re, when he learns the truth, he has a choice to make. Do I kill Zemo, or do I not kill Zemo? Right. There, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of these questions that get asked underneath all of this excitement of superheroes fighting each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, and, I, and I think – I love your analysis of it. I think also that there's some – it's one of these things that we we know inherently that we do have free will, right? Like I can, mm-hmm. I can go – I can stop this podcast if I want to. We can keep talking on this podcast if we want to. Like we know that we have um, a certain amount of free will, but it's also, like you're saying, it's fairly limited. And I think the movie does a pretty – outstanding job of showing in some of the ways that that free will is limited. Um, And obviously there's some things you just can't choose, right? Like you, you know, um, were you born in Georgia?
1: I was, yes. Okay.
0: So you're born in Georgia. I was born in California, right? We didn't have any choice in that matter. Um, that was something we did not get to decide. Um, in some places, uh, obviously America, the free will is more, our free will is more apparent because Mm -hmm. of our, the laws that govern our nation Um, but in some places you're born in certain places, it's incredibly difficult to leave those places. Uh, you, you know, you can't choose what happens to you, um, if someone else decides to do something of their own free will. And that's something, a consequence that you're sort of having to deal with. You obviously can't choose your genetics. Um, you can't choose your talents. Uh, even if someone else chooses those for you, we're getting into a place of science, almost like science fiction is becoming reality where, genetics can be predetermined, but even if they are, you're not choosing those things. Someone else is choosing those things for you. Um, so there's definitely this implication that uh, I think we, that the movie deals with really well in terms of, you mentioned it, it's situational, but it's also, it's, it's, it's so situational that there's some things that we're just completely out of our control that we can't make choices about that are just sort of uh, something that we have to deal with in life. So really balanced uh account there of how i think we all struggle with how do i make the right choices i do have free will but it's sometimes very difficult to make the right choices as you brought up earlier with the team cap versus team stark kind of question they both have really good points for why you'd want to choose either side um so i think yeah the movie does a fantastic job of that how how does the comic do in that regard
1: the the comic story is similar only in the fact that it's really Cap and Iron Man over this Registration Act. Mm. The Registration Act in the comic uh, there was a there's a group of characters called the New Warriors who were teenage uh, superheroes. Uh, they are battling a, a character called Nitro, who, as the name suggests, is a human bomb. Mm. And as you might imagine, the battle does not go well. Nitro explodes in this small town where they're fighting him, within the vicinity of a school, and a lot of kids are killed. Mm. Uh, that's what kicks it off. This whole, you know, there should be some registration. How do we, you know, there should be training. There should be, you know, it was more of, a, you know, if you're a superhero or if you have if you have powers. Whether you're planning to put on a costume or not, you have to register with the government. And it was very similar to what Marvel had done in previous times where they wanted all mutants to register. Mm. Um, back then though, with the mutant registration, it was played off as like this is a bad thing. When they got the Civil War, it seemed like they were they were angling it to be like this is a good thing. So it's 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 weird the time. You know, because all stories are very much a product of their time. Right, right. And so the the government puts out this mandate that you have to register. So the first thing they do is they go to these public superheroes, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, etc. those guys, the guys that are out there, the guys that have done work for the government, the guys who, you know, Iron Man, who doesn't have a secret identity, the Fantastic Four, who have secret identities. Mm. Although some of them refused to register. And then it became an interesting thing of who registers, who doesn't. And if you don't, the ones that didn't register kind of had to become rebels. Mm. Like they had to go on the run because if you don't register, you're going to be arrested. Ah, interesting. So in the course of all this, and uh, Cap and Tony were in in the Avengers at the time, as was Spider-Man. And this is why having Spider-Man the Civil War movie was so important to people.
2: Hmm.
1: One of the big things where they're, they're showing that the, the registration should happen. Spider-Man unmasks in front of everyone and, you know, and registers publicly. Ah. Um, they later undid all that, but so his identity could be secret again, but, and that's a whole other podcast, but, <laughs> but, um, so that was the big turning point. Was suddenly Spider-Man, who was this, who was the everyman hero. His his agreeing to the registration helped a lot, you know, in terms of getting some of the younger heroes on board. Um, so that's why having him in the movie, I think, was so important.
2: Right.
1: Uh, even though they didn't do that scene, uh, the relationship. It really was a, the the Civil War comic at the end of the day really was a story. About the relationship between Tony, Peter Parker, and Captain America, Steve Rogers. Oh, yeah. And Cap, Spider Man was caught between the two of them, Hmm. and I think we see that in the movie because he's on Cap's. I mean, he's on Stark's side, but then you get this bit where he and Cap kind of have a little bit of a moment, right? So I, I think that was important to the movie for fans of the comic. Um, I did not care personally for the Civil War comic. Um, A lot of the characters to me were written very out of character, Mm. Um, especially Tony Stark, uh, Reed Richards. And those guys were just they were not they were not handled well, in my personal opinion, as a reader. Sure. I I did not care for it. Um, I've not read the new Civil War they're doing now, um, but I did enjoy the movie. And I think the biggest part of that is, is that the movie didn't feel as forced to me, that the reg- all this registration didn't feel as forced as it did in the comic. Hmm. And also, I thought Tony was better portrayed in the movie than in the comic. Uh, got it. Tony comes around, you know, because near the end there, Tony starts to realize, maybe I've gone a little far. Right. Maybe, there's a, maybe we can, uh, you know, adjust this. Of course, by then it's really too late right but he does come around to think maybe I was wrong which the Tony in the comics never does and, interesting yeah and so at the end there so the really the, the big part of the battle comes in at the end he's you know all this stuff with the registration is not what the final battles about it's about the you know, Tony finds out that Bucky killed his mom. Right, exactly. And Steve's like, I'm not gonna let you kill him. I mean, that's what the movie boils down to. Right. And, you know, it's that that makes it more heartbreaking than these guys fighting over a law that they have no control over. Right. I think I think from in the terms of the movie that made the story more satisfying for me as a viewer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I haven't read the comic personally, so I can't give feedback on the comic, but um, I did really like the movie, especially the second watch through as I was taking notes for this podcast. Actually, that sort of improved um, the movie for me. Um, Which character represented here do you most closely align with in terms of their worldview pertaining to self-control?
2: Wow.
1: Um, I thought hard about this. Um, and, and I, I, it was hard to pin down a definitive character that's that close to me. Right. I guess the, probably the closest would be cap because like Captain America, like Steve Rogers, I believe in the American dream. Yeah. We don't always get to live it. We don't, we don't (laughs) always, we don't always do our best to, to uphold it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it, I like to believe it's possible; it's there, right? And and that's what that's what Steve believes in. That's why it was a big shock that Captain America was the one siding against the government, because everybody, you know, especially when the comic came out, there were so many people that just assumed that because Captain America is Captain America. He's going to side with the government. He's always been that guy. Right. He's for the government. Yeah, you know, he's a war hero. He's you know, he's the poster boy for who you would think, you know, would be on the government's side. And I love the um, I love the speech. In the movie, it's the speech that Sharon reads um at Peggy Carter's funeral that Peggy had said this and it ends with the no you move. Oh yeah. In the Civil War comic, that's actually a something Cap tells Spider-Man. Interesting. Okay. Which is what gets Spider-Man to switch sides. Ah, cool. So I like that, you know, I would like to think that, you know, if I, you know, that I would have the the, the, the guts to stand up against something, you know, tyranny or whatever something going on I'd like to think that I have the guts to stand up against it and go I you know I'm I'm not moving right I don't know if I would because I've never been in that situation you know at, to this degree right but I mean if you look at it as smaller ones I mean in smaller doses as a you know when I was in you know if you were a kid in school and you're being bullied it's a good lesson there Then I'm not moving you know it's so it's it's one of those things I would like to think that would be me. Um you know, whether it would, I don't know. I'm not look <laughs> test that theory anytime soon. Right. <laughs> so but um yeah, I would I would like to think that 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 I share that belief in the American dream that we can that we can all achieve it, you know. Yep. Whether you were born here or whether you move here or whatever, I I like to think that the American dream is open to anyone who wants it. Right. Right. I don't think we, you know, I don't think you should force it on other countries that don't want it. Right. If, if, if if you want the American dream, I, I really believe it's there and it's available and it's a lot of work. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's there and we can all, yeah. So, so probably cap, you know,
0: yeah and so I, so that's that's fantastic and I actually I I agree with you 100% and then I'm going to say a bunch of stuff that sounds like I don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I agree with you 100% on the macro level and I think um, we've seen this even in, even in history right as soon as as soon as there are you sort of have these um Like you mentioned, uh, especially in the comic, the registration, and we've seen this in the past where all of a sudden when countries start requiring registration and that's, that's a, that's a point in time where a lot of persecution can start to take place. Um, especially if it's like, if the registration, uh, you know, if you're tracking like what people's demographics are, what their ethnicity is, like all of those kinds of things, um, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow for me. So I agree with you 100% on the macro level for a country that is a democratic republic um, that is trying to move forward and be an example to other nations. I could not agree with you more. Um, I do think for me, though, I'm pr- I probably, despite the fact that I'm team cap on the macro environment, on like how a government should operate, I actually side with Tony in terms of uh, worldview because I think that Tony understands accountability – like we talked about, uh, I don't know if we mentioned it earlier yet or not, but he, he has a backstory that involves um, alcoholism. So this is a yes. dude who's, who's a genius. He's brilliant. He's amazing. And yet um, he's also struggling with alcoholism. And I think that for, on the micro level, when it comes to just me as a human being, and I'll just speak for myself, I feel like I'm somebody who actually needs to have accountability because I don't want to fall into habits that could hurt me or hurt other people. Um, and I do think that there's there's research out there that shows, too, that like our brains can become too easily wired to things that really can hurt ourselves or other people around us. And so uh, for me, I, I think uh, on a macro level, I'm Team Cap. On a micro level, in terms of when it comes to not, not necessarily government control, but of getting involved in our communities and making sure that we have people around us who are helping us become better human beings, um, I think that's where I side kind of more with Tony. And I go, yeah, I think we probably need people who um, hold us accountable to things that we believe in and things that we want to pursue, um, even even despite the fact that I value freedom. So I don't think the government should get involved, but I think we should take our own personal responsibility and make other have other people hold us accountable. So a little bit of a nuanced view there.
1: Um, well, I like, that. I like that. I like that too. I mean, if you think about it, Yes, these superheroes are not going out building houses for the homeless. Right. They're not going out planting gardens or planting crops. They are going out and fighting crime. Right. So there is a the the weapon you know issue comes into play again, or the you know yes they are they are adversely go- they're going into dangerous situations. Right. So I, I get I, I get the Tony side of things that. You know, who, who, you know, who said it's okay for these guys to run into this danger?
0: Right. How
1: do they're trained enough to do it? Right.
2: right.
0: What
1: if, what if Iron Man flying into a burning building to rescue people causes a bigger problem than just letting the firemen do it who have been trained? Right. You know, because, you know, to the public at large. Yes, we've seen Tony Stark go. I am Iron Man. But we also go. Tony Stark's a rich businessman. How do we know that's really him in there? Right. (laughs) No, he's not hiring. You know, people off the street or stuntmen or whatever to put that armor on. You don't know. We don't know. Right. Live in a world where people question everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So,
1: you know, there's a lot of that. I mean, we know it's Tony we see what Tony's going through and we know Tony has the best of intentions. Right. But to the people on the street or, you know, to the people in that building, say that building collapses and, and, you know, causes harm to the people who lived in that building or to the, the firemen. It's like, you know, I wonder if that guy crashing through the wall caused that to
0: happen. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So, you know, I agree with you. There should be some accountability. Um, if, you know, if in the court, you know, cause, and there have been certain comic stories that have really touched on that where, you know, a hero does something and someone gets hurt or dies or something can bad happens as a result of their actions. You know, I agree. There should be accountability, but how, I guess is the big question in the Marvel universe. How do we make that accountability happen?
0: Exactly. Actually, that's another, that's another question that we're going to have in just a minute. Um, so uh, this leads us into maybe more of a personal question. And sometimes I feel bad about asking them, my guests all these personal questions, but I also feel like it helps uh, helps us all deal with the issues that the films are bringing up. So have there been times where you felt like Bucky or Vision, times where you felt like that you weren't really in control or at least lacked some sort of self-control?
1: There are situations that happen in life where you have to relinquish – control in terms because just because other things have to happen. Right. And, and certainly not to a Bucky or vision extent, my life is not (laughs) that exciting, Uh, but an example, say you have a sick parent or a sick child, you have to readjust your life to deal with that. Right. Right. Uh, Um, I do have some personal uh, experience there. I, you know, um, nothing I want to go into details on, but right. there, you know, it happens sometimes you, you know, and it goes back to that free will. You have the choice to do that. Right. You know, but you know, if, you know, um, um, you know, another way you can be of I mean, have you ever been laid off from a job mm. suddenly you become a wash and all you know, the world changes for you right in a moment. And suddenly you're, you know, whereas when you were happily employed, you know, you were wondering what movie you were going to go see next weekend, you know, then they call you in and say, we're letting a hundred and some odd people go by. And then suddenly you're worried about, am I going to be able to eat next weekend? Yeah. Right. Right. These, these type of things are out of your control and then you have to learn how you're going to deal with those. Yes. And so, yeah, so sometimes you're out of, you're out of control because suddenly your life is spending 20-some-odd hours a week going around knocking on businesses' doors, doing interviews, taking temp jobs, doing whatever you can. It's not the way you wanted to go. It's not, you know, you have to do it, and so you you made a choice that this is what I've got to do until we can get back on our feet or whatever. And I mean, I'm sure we could throw out many, many more, uh, less extreme options, but yeah, there are times where our lives just things happen. Right. And you have to, you know, you have to either roll with it or get steamrolled by it. Yes. And so, you know, how you respond to that, you know, is, will say a lot about your character. And in the terms of the movie here with Bucky and with the vision how they deal with the, the those things you know you know I don't, you know Bucky at first I don't think is handling it I mean his his solution is to run and hide right right um I don't you know even once he's you know and and part of it's because he's afraid I think I think Bucky kind of plays the hulk role right in this movie a little bit the not that he become well he does become a monster out of control when the when the villain when Zemo reinstitutes the mind control. So yeah, I guess yeah, it's very good um that you know he's the guy he's he's trying to stay off the radar so he doesn't lose control and then when when you know when he's framed and Cap goes looking for him and the Black Panther goes looking for him and everybody's looking for him, he's on the run, and then when they catch him, he loses control. And goes on this rampage, you know, you know, beating up a lot of people. But he's really, he's lost all control from the point Zemo sets down and starts reading off those words to him. Right, exactly. And so, does, does Bucky, is Bucky accountable for what he does under mind control? That's a big question of this movie. Mm-hmm. He killed Tony's parents while he was being mind controlled. Is it Bucky's fault or is this person pulling Bucky's strings fault? And that's a big issue here, you know, and Tony, I, I, I think it's brilliant that Tony doesn't care at the end of you know, <laughs> that question, you know, cause and we've seen Tony has had this love hate relationship with his father. He, he did. He wasn't close with his father, but he loved his mother. And right. he and his mother doted on him then. And at the end of it is, you killed my mother. I don't. everything else is immaterial. And so at that point, Tony doesn't care about accountability. Right. Which he's preached the entire movie about. Right. Because it becomes a personal issue to him. Steve feels accountability toward his friend. And the guy that served under him, I mean – Cap was, you know, in charge of Bucky's unit when Bucky died or was supposedly killed in the war. Cap feels accountability to protect Bucky. So there's, there's a lot of that there, you know, that with these guys are taking sides. A lot of it is because I feel responsible for this. Right. And Tony, Tony feels responsible for, for Ultron. He feels responsible for Sokovia. I'm sure he feels responsible for a lot of other things. Um, because like I said, he's, and he's the character we've seen the most because he obviously was the first in the cinematic universe. So we've seen more Tony stories, I think than anybody else. Right. So seeing him grow and change into this guy, but at the end of it, it's, it's really all about this guy killed his mother and he's going to kick his ass.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I know that's great. I think um it's interesting for me with this question because I think uh and 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 the character of the Hulk does this I think masterfully like there's this there's this uh, inclination that um that we are able to have a certain amount of control. And so does so does Bruce Banner, right? Like after he becomes the Hulk, he has these moments where he's able to control his anger and not, therefore, you know, explode, and his temper turns him into the Hulk, and, and there's an indication that he probably, as Bruce Banner, would have been really angry and maybe done some destructive things, um, but as the Hulk, it's on a completely other level. It's like it's a it's taken to the extreme, and I think in my experience, um, when I was when I was younger, I used to be a fairly um, you know, I thought that I was, uh, incredibly disciplined and it was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I've got life figured out. You just do these things and like you're disciplined and like, that's fantastic. Um, and that will get you through discipline will get you through. But I think as I've gotten older, I've begun to realize how difficult self-control really is. Um, and it's especially in a society that puts a high value on freedom because now it's saying like, well, you can do whatever you want. And so then you go, okay, well, just because I can do whatever I want, does that mean I should do whatever I want and obviously this is we this is a wide spectrum of different people who have different viewpoints on what you should do and what you shouldn't do and without even getting into that, I think that there's a there's a bit for me that says, particularly as I've gotten older and I've experienced stressors on my life. so you talked about you know taking care of loved ones I, I've dealt with those kind of situations too um to losing loved ones to whatever it is. I do think that that put, those stressors then put a lot of strain on our discipline um, and then it become it makes it makes self control very difficult because i just take a small thing like i should really go to bed right now so i can get enough sleep tonight but instead i'm going to watch you know youtube videos for the next 20 minutes you know or whatever it is just <laughs> a, just that little tiny thing that can that can actually impact your your very next day Um, I think that that's an interesting, I like that the comic book community is dealing with that issue because I think it's an important one for us to kind of wrestle through in our own minds, um, to tackle that from the other, from the other, uh, standpoint, which is more of the Bucky, um, or vision sort of standpoint, which is to say that like I've lost all self-control in this kind of case, I thought about this one story that I think is a pretty, it's a pretty interesting story to me, so I'll try and tell it in as brief amount of time as possible, but um, I was uh, 12, 12, 13 years old, and my mom had been diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer like two weeks prior to this event, and on this day, my family and I were going on a vacation to Hawaii and we, we we get to the airport we 're going on this airline called Leisure Air, which is currently now out of business, and you 'll see why in a minute um, we we get out, We get to the airport flight's delayed three hours. okay, no big deal that happens um, Later on they say okay we 'll load you onto the plane, they load us onto the plane they 're literally still installing a seat in the plane when we when they 're boarding us on, which is very <laughs> weird, yeah, super strange. <laughs> We, we, they, they, they get the installation crew out we roll we, we're on the tarmac still we sit on the plane for four and a half hours on the tarmac and at this point people are starting to get pretty concerned like why in the world would be grounded like this right in fact there was a one lady who stood up in the, ca- in the main cabin and goes my husband's a pilot this is not supposed to happen you, you guys need to let me off this plane well they decide people are getting upset Oh, uh, they ran out of they ran out of cokes. By the way, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was brutal. They ran out of soda, um, so they decided to take off. So we take off, and everything's fine. We're about twenty minutes into the flight. This is out over the Pacific Ocean now because I'm in, I'm from LA, so we're flying out of LAX. We're 20 minutes over the water, and they start dumping fuel outside of both wings. At the end. And if you've ever seen that happen before, it is a very strange thing to see, fuel just dumping out the ends of the wings. Um, and literally had to turn us around. Pilot comes on over the intercom and says, you know, we have a fire warning light on engine number two, and we have to turn around and do an emergency landing back at LAX. And I think that that was the most... Uh, besides seeing loved ones suffer through like my mom um, and her battle with cancer which which lasted a long time, she actually went into remission um, for another 17 years after that, but I think when you experience these kind of things, this is where you're put into a situation where you realize that you have zero control you, I mean, you have some control over your response to the situation but the situation itself is I, I do not know how to fly a plane I'm just sitting on the plane and I just hope that they land the thing successfully which, of course, they did. They they, uh, they finally landed it for us. And the story goes on from there and gets even crazier. Because there's, there's all these drunk people on the next flight. And, oh, my gosh, it's crazy. But um, all that aside... Um I think that that's a, that so there's those two sides of it, right? There's the little everyday things that we do that we say like, okay, well if I had more discipline or self control, I would I would or would not do XYZ. But then there's also the situations like you talked about where it's like, I have no control over the situation. The situation is just like completely up to the powers that be, um, and I hope that everything works itself out, you know? Yep. Um And
1: what well, i ironically named the airline too. <laughs> I I imagine you didn't relax for any
0: of that. No, not at all. And actually, I still so I still have PTSD. Well, I I have not been diagnosed with that formally, so I shouldn't say that just to put anyone else that that actually has that. Um, I don't mean to misuse that, but uh, I have some version of it because I cannot get on a plane today without becoming incredibly nervous. So, yeah, it's kind of it's just it's one of those things, right? Like now, now as those stressors come up. And now mm-hmm. it makes it a lot like discipline and self control a lot harder because what do I want to do when I'm stressed out? Well, I don't want to be responsible, right? I actually want to escape from that pain that I'm going to experience, even if it's just a, even if it's just a mental pain that I'm experiencing where my where my brain is kind of in a loop trying to figure out like, is this plane going to crash? Which is like one of the most safe things to do in the United States, right? So. Uh, it's a tough one. A, it can be really tough, and that's why I love the Hulk character. And I love that that they actually take the Hulk out of this movie and then deal with the other characters trying to figure out how, how do we do this well. Um, and there's so many good perspectives on it. So I was impressed. I was impressed with the way that they handled it. So I will um, lead us down a discussion about um, the flip side of self-control and just diving into accountability a little bit more. Um, and this is presented to us in the form of the Sokovia Accord, which essentially states that the Avengers will be accountable to the United Nations. So here's my question for you. Um, in your mind, Bobby, who should the Avengers really be responsible to, if anyone, and why?
1: Okay. And also, the Sokovia Accords are not just directed at the Avengers. Mm. It's any character the, anyone with powers. Um, yes. I know cause they've touched on this in the agents of shield TV show mm-hmm. where they're where they've re they've introduced ghostwriter this season.
0: Oh, interesting. They're,
1: they're tracking him down because he is not a registered, uh, metahuman superhero, okay. whatever you call them. Um, he is not registered and he has powers. So this, re, this is anybody. Right. Um, so that means that, you know, that means that, Luke Cage needs to register, or if the UN one day goes, Luke Cage, we need you to go here. You know, Luke really, you know, he's kind of in a, he'll have a quandary there, you know what I do.
0: Right, right.
1: So, so yeah, so it's not just the Avengers. The Avengers are the public face. Right. Certainly any of these other characters, you know, what's the, they can't, I mean, they could go after Spider-Man, you know, which that gets into a whole other thing. Imagine the UN coming in and going, "Okay, Spider-Man, we need to send you over to uh, Latveria and deal with Doctor Doom." Right. <laughs> Spider- Spider-Man's a fifteen-year-old kid. Yep. So you know, there's we, we there are issues there with that, but absolutely. Yeah. Um, which I'm assuming we will touch on. You know, they've introduced them, so the, the they can't just because this kind of what happened with the comics after the Civil War story was over. They kind of just ignored the registration. (laughs) That's awesome. You know, so it's unfortunately in the real world, you can't do that. They make laws. They're there. Right. Um, Who should the Avengers report to? That's a very good question. I, you know, in the comics and I'm, I've read the Avengers for years and off and on in the comics, I've read a lot of Avengers stories. There have been times where in, in the comics where the Avengers are autonomous. There have been times where, They report to the U.S. government, and there have been times where they've reported to the U.N. Um, I don't recall any, you know, too big of problems. Um, One of the biggest ones the U.S. government did was told them they could only have six members at a time. Mm. Because for a while there, the book got to where just, you know, there's suddenly 20 characters here. And so they wrote a story where the u s government comes in and says there can only be six active avengers at any one time so they've dealt with those type of things where they have to call into their u n handler because right. of a situation right, um, right there is a there's a there's a, a fun storyline uh it was just recently traded called uh um what is they call trade um the vision was injured. And so his mind was connected with an alien computer to reboot the vision. And so because of this uh, outside influence, the vision realizes that the only way to save the world is if he rules it. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so the vision begins doing these subtle manipulations, moving out members and getting rid of people who could stop him and, you know, and it's 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 a wonderful story that it, it ends with the vision basically plucking this uh, plucking it out of his head the 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 components that have been compromised. Oh no way! And um, so yeah, really good story. But so
2: yeah,
1: um, but that leads to them having a lot of oversight going forward. Right, is where I was going with that. So that's where the UN gets involved, and um, and then. They've had their times where they're just autonomous and they work with those guys, but they don't report to them. Mm. So I don't know. I, I don't know a good answer. I mean, there are times where, because if you look at it, there are times where the UN or the U.S. government does things, and we go, "Why did they do that?"
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> or you know. Okay, we got this big problem going on over here, and no one said a word. But there's this tiny little thing over here, and that's all we're focused on. Right. Things like that, and then if they're autonomous, then you're at the whim of whoever's running the Avengers. And the Avengers in the comics has never had a permanent leader. Um, they go through periods where someone's there is a leader. They elect a leader from the group. But, and it's been Kat probably more than anybody else. But, um, so a lot of times you're at the whim of who's in charge, you know? So, you know, there, you know, Tony might respond to things one way, whereas Cap might respond to them another. Right. Right. So I don't have a good answer for this. I would, I would almost think that it needs to be a little of all, it, it would almost need to be something new. Maybe take a a representative from the UN, a representative from the government, U.S. government, a representative who could speak for the Avengers, and maybe have a little tribunal or cabal or whatever you want to call them, right? Right? Oversight committee that could that could help. You'd almost need something new like that. I don't know if I would want to put my trust in just them dealing with just one and. um But again, you know, it it all depends on what story the writers come up with, right? The situation, because again, the uh, world—what was it? The world, uh, the world. What was the committee? It was in. uh, They dis. It was in Avengers and and uh, Winter Soldier that Robert Redford was talking with. The world. Oh
0: yeah, I don't remember the name. (laughs) Whatever.
1: Those people tried to New New York. (laughs) Right. Um, those people want to put three drone or three helicarriers that could pick off several million people at one time into the I mean,
2: right, right. You
1: know, and these are the people that they want the Avengers to report to. <laughs> That's right. So, but the, but again, to civilians at large, they don't know that information. Right. We, as people watching from the outside on the movies, we know this. Right. So it's like. That's who they want the Avengers to report to. Is that really other than the smartest plan we can come up with?
0: Right, right, exactly. So,
1: I don't know. I don't I don't know a right answer.
0: Well, you I totally agree with you because I was completely stumped on the same question myself. And so the only thing that I could come up with, only thing I could come up with was that I felt like there the only way because when you have uh, when you're gonna be accountable to someone or something, generally speaking, there are consequences that if you do the wrong things that that person can hold you to. And the Avengers are just too powerful for that, right? Like, who's mm-hmm. going to hold them accountable? I mean, even S.H.I.E.L.D. is not powerful enough to hold them accountable. Um, but, so this is, here's, my, here's my theory, that if, if you were truly to be able to uh, have them accountable to something or someone or some group, I feel like it would have to be completely outside the MCU, and basically we'd have to have the Justice League holding the uh, Avengers uh, accountable, and the and the Avengers holding the Justice League accountable. That's the only thing that I can think of where there's equal weighting to those to those factors.
1: That makes sense. Yeah, they but, kind of be like they they kind of keep an eye on the other.
0: Yeah, and I think so. I will say this. And this is I know this is not even movie related um, in this regard, but the justice League, I do feel like for one they've spent a lot a lot of time exploring like what happens if the justice League like some one of the characters is compromised so I do think with the Justice League, the thing that you do see which which helps is that you see particularly Batman coming up with lots of different scenarios about how he can um effectively um remove any misbehaving superhero because he's come up with some methodology for essentially taking them out of the equation. And I think that that works really well because he's not a superhero, right? He's just a he's just a dude. He's just a really smart dude. So Hi. In that regard, that seems – it seems like the Justice League has a much more balanced situation than does the Avengers um, for that reason because of the Batman involvement and because of his ability to figure out, well, how can I remove this entity if I have to, you know?
1: Right. Batman does seem to to be more of a planner for things to go wrong, whereas the Avengers seem to go, oh, we got it under control. Nothing will ever (laughs) – nothing will go wrong. What do you mean the Vision tried to take over the world?
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly, exactly. They're so trusting. Um, So let's, okay, so this is going to move on and break the topic a little bit from self control and accountability, which we've been diving really deep into. It's really been great. But let's move on to the Black Panther. So he has one of the best character arcs in the movie. Um I love your I love your point about um Tony Stark's character development over the course of several movies. That's totally true. He he has developed extraordinarily well and and um, Robert Downey Jr has been done an amazing job of playing him. But in this particular movie, um Black Panther is probably the one that has the biggest um change of heart so to speak. I know that like even even Iron Man has a change of heart in this one, but then he kind of reverts back and he rever- you know he's kind of all over the place. But um This journey that the Black Panther is on is one of forceful vengeance versus diplomacy. And this is an age-old question faced by many superheroes. Where is the intersection of justice, vengeance, and diplomacy? So I'll pose this question to you. Of all the superhero characters, not just those in this film, um, who do you side with in terms of his or her thoughts on justice, vengeance, and diplomacy?
1: That's a very good question. And you're right. I agree. I totally agree that that T'Challa has a lot of growth in this one movie because we see him start with just being happy to just be the son of the ambassador to suddenly ruling a country to going, I'm going to kill this guy right? to maybe I've been going about this all wrong. So there's a lot there for me. And this was a tough one because there's a lot of really cool characters. But I I I would say probably Spider-Man for me. Oh, okay. S- Spider-Man's Spider-Man's reasoning for what he does is it's a little bit guilt, but it's also a little bit just things need to be done right. He's the guy that before he got his powers and we've all done this in our head, you know, the bully comes up and picks on us at lunchtime, and we just kind of go uh huh, and we slink away. But in our head, we puffed up, stood up to him, beat the crap out of him, <laughs> you know, kissed the girl, then went on our way. Um, Peter was like Peter Parker was like that. That was Peter Parker. He was the guy that you know he was. He knew he was going to get beat up, or so he tried to avoid it. Mm. He he gets these powers, and it goes. First thing he does is it goes to his head. He doesn't think, I'm. oh, I can do good with these powers. He thinks, I can make money with these powers. Because that was a big thing for him. He comes from a very poor family that struggles, that they don't, that, you know, where's our next meal coming from? And, you know, I, I grew up in a poor family. We, we weren't, you know, quite that poor. Um, anybody seen pictures of me? I've not missed many meals. Um, but he once he puts that mask on, there is a Peter becomes that guy that he always imagined he could be. Mm. That's where the humor comes from. And sure, it starts out as a result of guilt over letting the guy go who kills his uncle. But as Peter goes, Peter has a great sense of what's right and wrong and Mm. just wants to help because the Spider-Man story, like, Captain America or, or Iron Man, these guys show up and they put on their suits and they go out and they do something and the citizens love them. Right. You know, there's there are museums or there are tours or people are, you know, there are toys and people are laughing and they're happy and, oh, Iron Man is awesome. Iron Man is cool. And, you know, Spider-Man puts on his suit, goes out and stops robbers from robbing a bank and they try to arrest Spider Man. Right. You know, the newspaper, every day, Spider Man menace. They're putting up billboards all over the city. Spider Man is a menace. Read all about it in the next. The New Yorkers, you know, for the most part, from looking at it that way, hate Spider Man. Right. Now, you get down to street level and they love the guy. Because they also see it as a little bit of him sticking it to, you know, the establishment or the man or whatever you want to say it right he's so he becomes a bit of a folk hero to to people to the to to the the average Joe. and so but he really has a sense once he becomes spider-man and gets gets into it he has this sense of there are there are problems out there and things that need to be taken care of and i can do that yeah and so he goes and and he stops worrying about fame and he's like, yeah, I know these people hate me, but I don't care. Right. You know, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, You know, (laughs) you know, there's also the cool little bit that he finds a way to make money, you know, in the comics off of the guy that hates him the most. Right. He he takes pictures of himself in the costume and sells them to the guy that's telling everybody he's a menace. (laughs) So he's actually keeping that train going Because he's selling photos now of Spider-Man doing something sketchy looking to J. Jonah Jameson, who is then continually going, look, we have proof of how bad he is. So he's actually not helping his case doing that. Right. But it was a real funny bit, too, just to keep this on the Civil War topic. When I I mentioned in the comic, he does the whole reveal, Spider-Man reveals himself at a press conference. The very next issue opens with a splash page of the front page of uh, the Daily Bugle going, you know, publisher to Peter Parker. And in big letters, you're fired. (laughs) That's awesome. So, but yeah, so I I think in in terms of that, Spider-Man would would probably be that guy for me. And he's a bit of a smart ass, which I appreciate.
0: Yes. And he's hilarious, too, the whole Mm -hmm. time. Um, I think uh, that's great. I think su- Spider-Man's super li- likable character. Um, I, so my character, I just realized too that I kind of, I kind of cheated on this one because I said superhero characters and I chose a non-superhero. Um, so that's kind of cheating, but, uh, definitely comic book characters.
1: But it's your show, so.
0: That's right. That's right. I get to cheat a little bit. I get to stretch, stretch the rules. Um, so I went outside the Marvel universe, and part of this is because I'm, I'm a bigger DC fan in most cases. I think, obviously, I've written articles about how Marvel's doing better movies right now, but I'm a bigger DC fan overall. Um, and I would have to say that my two of my favorite characters that I continually go back to as um, people that I sort of most closely associate to are Jim Gordon and Alfred, um, Very nice. Yeah, because I think, so they both understand that corruption occasionally must be dealt with um, with force. So in other words, they understand that Batman is a necessity for Gotham. It's not like you can just roll in and like, you know, hand out pamphlets and the city of Gotham's going to change. Like there needs to be a certain level of fear that's created for criminals and for those who are, who are um, committing injustices and hurting other people. But, at the same time, those are both both Jim and Alfred are very compassionate individuals who both abide by the law, want to see justice done, but also believe um, that they need to support people who will rise up against evil so I think Jim handles handles the concept of Batman being a vigilante like in a really good way because he basically is like i 'm going to support your efforts of fighting crime, but I actually care about you as an individual and I care about the people." Who are actually out in Gotham as well. So I need to be able to give you feedback that gives you perspective, um, and he does that pretty artfully in a lot of situations. So I like—I really like him for that reason. And obviously, Jim—Jim Jim is dealing. He's—he's he's inside a corrupt entity because the police department in Gotham has tended to be pretty corrupt over the years, and so he's operating with a high degree of integrity even amidst a department that is incredibly. Um, corrupt. So both of those guys are not quite willing to be Batman, but they are fighting for justice and they hold Batman even accountable for his actions. So those are, those are kind of my two picks far less fun than Spider-Man. I will say that.
1: <laughs> well, let me ask you this since you mentioned Jim Gordon. Yeah. Are you one of the, are you in the camp that believes that Jim has no clue who Batman is? Or are you in the camp that believes he knows, but keeps his mouth shut? For, to to keep that relationship how it is to keep, because he's afraid of Bruce knows that it might change the way that they get the job done.
0: Oh, that's a good question. Okay. So I, I would have to say that I am in the camp that he knows, but he's keeping his mouth shut. Um, and I would say that because in my mind, uh, Batman is Batman's critical flaw, if you will, is that, he really is unable to develop a sense of intimacy with anybody else around him, right? He's very mm-hmm. isolated. Um, when he's Bruce, he's playing a role. Um, when he's Batman, he needs to stay secretive. And so he doesn't let a lot of people in. And I think that, um, I think that Jim gets it. I think if, if Jim doesn't get it, Jim probably is one of the most gullible people um, in my mind, and I don't, I don't see him that way. I see him as actually right. being fairly intelligent. So I would say he gets it. He's just not telling anybody.
1: I agree. I, I, I've been in that camp because Jim Gordon is I, him. Not to know he would have it would be would make him stupid.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yep.
1: And I don't want, I don't want this guy who is risen, risen to this level, who seems so intelligent on all other levels, to be
0: that dumb. Exactly. Especially because I think, you know, they've, they've done, in the past, I think they've had some, some fairly dumb Jim Gordon characters. They've done mm-hmm. that before. Um, but the more modern trend throughout both the Chris Nolan series, the newer comics, the more serious comic, comics, um, and even the, uh, even the new series on TV, which I haven't watched a lot of, but I've watched um, some of, uh, Jim is obviously a much more intelligent character these days, mm-hmm. especially, um, than he has been in the past. So I, I, I would just, uh, I would think that he knows he's got to know. Yeah. He's got to know.
1: Yeah. I always felt the same thing about Perry White too. I, I figured Perry White, who is so, such a, a good reporter,
2: yes.
0: now he can
1: never figure it mean, me, but he's one of those guys that he knows that just. Keep it quiet.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And to a certain degree, like they, they must, right? It's like, it's kind of like one of those Mm -hmm. things where, um, you know, we have, we have a central intelligence agency for a reason that cannot reveal things to the American populace, not because Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily, they want to keep something hidden, but because if they know that if they reveal it, they compromise people across the globe, right? Yep. Yep. So I think you need to have, you need to have people who know things that just say, I just can't, there's, there's no way for me to be as transparent as I'd like to be about this because we need to be able to protect people. So, so this brings me to the final set of topics to explore. And that being, um, one of the primary implications of the conflict that's presented in the film. And that's about how we maintain relationships. So, Obviously, this is an essential topic for our world today. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a country this divided, um, particularly from a political standpoint, but in many other areas as well. So no matter what side you're on, the question becomes, how do we work better together uh, or, you know, will our differences basically tear us apart? And the, I mean, even as I'm, even as I'm talking about this, there is a petition in California that it should secede from the rest of the nation. <laughs> and I'm sitting in California. So, I mean, it's like uh, kind of crazy. Um, So the movie presents different theories on this topic. I mean, Vision says that conflict breeds catastrophe and then later tells Cap, I know you believe in what you're doing is right, but for the collective good, you must surrender now. Um, Tony Stark is calling for more accountability and oversight. Captain America defends their right to choose um, when and where to intervene. Black Widow says uh, staying together is important, and then Cap responds with, but what are we giving up um, to do it. So what do you think, Bobby, how do we build relationships and still maintain our strongly held beliefs and which character do you most resonate with, particularly as we look at our reality today in America?
1: Ooh, I know you ask a lot of tough questions.
0: I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: you know, of, of all of those, uh, ways of looking at it, you just said, the one that really sticks with me is when, it, is the where Black Widow says, "Staying together is important," and then Cap says, "What are we giving up to do it?" I, I find that one interesting because, say, the UN takes over, and or the Department of Justice, or whoever they're reporting to, and they go, "Okay, um, if it's the UN, we need people from member." Remember countries to be on the Avengers. So Black Widow, you're out. Um, we're putting in somebody else. You know, that was one of the stories I mentioned where they said, you've got, you can only have six Avengers. Right. Uh, what if you're giving, you're not, you're not giving up a little control when you give it up. You're giving up all the control.
2: Yeah.
1: Where they're going to say, okay, you've got the Avengers and this is your Avengers team. And we don't, okay, well, we don't like this Spider-Man guy. Ant Man's a criminal, a former criminal. He's got to go.
2: Right.
1: Um, Let's see here. The Vision, he's a robot. Can't have that. Got to go. Right. Uh, So you start doing that, and then suddenly they're picking and choosing who you can have, who you can take. You know, oh, we're going to send you to Russia. Great. Let's call the Black Widow. No, no. She used to be a spy. We can't trust her.
2: Right.
1: These are the kind of things that that you would have to give up. You know, it's not just giving up. Yeah, where you know, that's not how you know, there's no guarantee they're going to let them stay together as a group, right? Especially, you know, there's no way any entity control over overseeing the Avengers is going to let Captain America and Bucky be on the same team, right? After the events of this movie, never happen, right. Um, now, obviously, at the end of this movie, you know, Cap's uh, Steve's not really Cap anymore. He doesn't have the shield. He's he's on the run. Bucky's on the run still. I mean, you know, half the Avengers are in a prison. Uh, although I think they get out at the end of it. Although uh, there's a part of me that kind of wondered what it'd be like if they all, they kept them in that prison until the next Avengers movie.
0: <laughs> That'd be awesome.
1: <laughs> just to, just as a story part. Right. Point, see what you know. But I know they have individual movies they have to do between there. <laughs> but um, you know, or I was surprised that in Doctor Strange, nobody showed up and goes, "You need to register." Yeah, you I, know, I
0: haven't seen Doctor
1: Strange yet. I got to see that absolutely awesome movie. Okay, uh, yeah, loved it. Awesome. Um, so you you want to know which character most resonates with me in terms of this? You know, I I guess I got to still go with Cap on that. I, you know, he doesn't want to, because Cap believes in this American dream, this, this ideal of what our country can be. They want him to give up freedoms that he's fighting for people to be able to keep, Mm. you know, that free will and, you know, being able to choose and have accountability, you know. Because when he says there, what are we giving up to do it? That's one of the things they're giving up. They're giving up their freedom to choose. And as a soldier, he's already done that at one point. You know, as a soldier, you don't get to go, well, I don't want to go to the Russian front. You know, I don't want to go to Berlin. I, you know, they're not given that option. In World War II, when they said, you know, Steve, you need to go here, he goes, okay, we're gone. Right he's done that. He knows what that life's like. He's in this new world where he's discovering how much things have changed, what they, what, what, you know, because too, this is a, to Steve in the movies, the world is vastly changed. You know, to Steve in the comics, they keep pushing out the deadline, you know, how long he's been unfrozen because the, you know, characters in comics don't age. Right, right. So, it's kind of an understood thing that whatever time period you're currently reading Captain America, he's been unfrozen 10 years. Hmm. So when he was first, you know, brought back in the comics, it had only been 20 or 15 years. The world hadn't changed that much other than the war was over and a few things had changed. But the Captain America that they write in the comics today was thawed out in a different century than he was frozen in. Right. Just like the guy in the movie. Right. So this guy comes from 1945 to 20, whatever, 2009, I guess, when they did the first Captain America movie.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, that's a big change, a big world difference. So this guy is suddenly coming from a place where, you know, you, you didn't have telephones that you couldn't make a call without contacting the operator, you know, to suddenly you've got computers in your hand, right? You know, computers that would have taken up the, a small building, you know, when he was in his heyday. I mean, and so it's a big change for him. He, so he's, but he's still trying to live up to that ideal of, and he sees all this change and all this advancement that the world has had. He sees the wars we've been through since then. He sees that how things have grown and changed. He sees what hasn't. And I think to Steve, it's still a matter of, we've done so much, but there's still so much to do. And, and that he feels that he's, you know, he's still there to help protect this country. and that, Or not even just this country, I think he, he would say the world
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the people. Because um, if you think about it, in the Avengers movies, especially in the Avengers movies, Captain America is the first, the first one of the first things that you know when they show up to problems is we gotta save these civilians, or we gotta get the people out, or we gotta say, you know, we gotta keep them away from, you know, the civilians are over here by Union Square. We've got to keep them away from that. Right. So he's he's thinking about the people first, then solve the problem. Right. So and so. You know, and I like to think of people first. You know, um, you know, America is a big ideal. If you you know, you can't look at America as an individual people because we're all different. Right. And I think that's how Captain America looks at things. That's how Steve Rogers sees the world. And so, again, it's an ideal I'd like to think that I could hold. I don't think I'm there, but I, <laughs> I, um, I'm sorry. You know, but he, it's it's a belief for him, and he he believes it. It's it's a strong belief with him, and he 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 under, he he doesn't try to stop Tony from doing what Tony wants to do or believing what he believes. But he's like Tony. I want you to understand it from my side, right? Whereas Tony is coming into this movie, going, "Here's what I think we should do, and we're all going to do it," right? And you know. And that's how Tony is at the beginning of this movie. And he does, like I said, there are changes that happen through the course of the movie, but you know, yeah, I I really see that side of cap and I would like to, to keep it there. Um, but I think I lost track of the topic there. Sorry.
0: Um, No, you're still on, you're
1: still right on. Relationships, relationships. So yeah, you know, at the end of it, before we get to the very the last act of the movie even though Tony and Steve are on different ends of this they have not lost that relationship that they have right. now this is one thing too that the comics did because the in the comics Tony and Steve have had really a lengthy relationship in a lot of books Tony and Steve have not had that relationship in the movies we've seen right Actually, they're, they're, you know, they say, oh, we're friends. You know, I, he was, I was your friend. And it's like the way you two act together as <laughs> they're arguing or at each other's throats more than anything else. So I, I don't feel like when we get to that scene where he's like, he was, he's my friend. and He's like, so was I. I don't feel like they earned the impact it should have. Yet, uh, anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. Because the cat and Steve have not really felt like friends. They're constantly, you know, budding heads. And, yeah, sure, there's a camaraderie there and all that. But I don't feel that because just looking at the movies, I don't feel that uh, that scene, I don't feel it as a big rending of best buds. Right. As I do in the comics when it happens. Right. Right.
0: Um. So this is this is another tough one for me because I feel very conflicted about this. Um, I sort of, I would sort of choose vision, but I'm actually very against the vision quote that I read because in the in the quote that I read, he said conflict breeds catastrophe, and then later t- he tells Cap, "I know you believe what you're doing is right, but for the collective good, you must surrender now." And I and I actually think that that's like really, really not good. It's like a really mm-hmm. bad way to approach the topic. So I don't agree with him in that regard. Um, the, the only reason I bring him up as somebody who I might side with in terms of the way that they address this issue is that I do believe that of all the people involved, um, he seems to be the most open to communication about it. And I think that's one of the things that um, – One of the things that both, whether it's, whether it's our country and how we deal with problems or whether it's this movie, which so artfully deals with what can happen when we don't communicate with one another. Well, ultimately, I think it comes down to you you should have strong opinions. Um, not just opinions, but actually facts that support those opinions. Um, not just one sided facts, multiple facts, but I believe that we actually need to have very open communication with one another. To the point where um, we can say we should be able to discuss these ideas in a forum to where we don't have to um, result in name calling and bullying and all of these kinds of things. I think the the one thing I would criticize both Cap and Tony on is that they let this disagreement between them. Um, And I I realize it's a nuanced disagreement because they have the friendship thing going on and the accountability from the um, Sokovia Accord going on. But they let this thing turn into... Violence to solve the issue, right? And it's like, what, what are the, what's the first thing you learn as a kid? Like, don't solve issues with violence if you can help it, right? And I think that in this case, these are not these are not good guys going against bad guys and needing to resort to violence to do that. Which I think we can all say that there's an acceptable form there of violence, but they're using violence as a means by which to argue their point and prevent the other person from doing what they're going to do. And I just think that that's that's sort of a thing where I go. I don't think we can let, uh, I don't think we can let ourselves um, go that far. Like, let's just use the real life example. If California really is going to secede from um, the union from the rest of the United States, like, there's no way that I am I am in California. I'm going to be like, hey, Bobby. I know you're in Georgia, so take up arms, buddy, because like we want <laughs> to secede. Like, that's crazy town, right? Yeah. Um and I just think that like, I know, I know this is like more of a cartoon violence and they're not really going to hurt each other, but they do a considerable amount of damage to the airport that they're fighting in, right? Oh, like yeah. violence has this, these consequences. Mm. And so I think for me, the, the disappointing part is that it gets to be violent. And I actually think that's, in my opinion, more on Tony than it is on Cap, although you could probably argue that either way. Um, well the the
1: first thing did, neither one of them wanted to to give ground, but yes. the first thing both of them did was put together an army
0: exactly 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 that 's exactly right and so I think that I think that we have to get to a place where we can uh, come up with ulterior solution or alternative solutions because I think what happens is we have no, you must adhere by my viewpoint. And then you have another person say, well, no, you must adhere by my viewpoint. And, and then it just becomes this kind of yelling match. And in this case, it resorts to violence. But it, in our world, we see this on, like, like you mentioned Facebook earlier, like all of a sudden it's just like this giant yelling match and or typing match, if you will. And I just think that that's um, in an insane way to deal with real problems. Um, and it's not even something that we can we can do long-term. Like We have to have a discourse wherein we present third alternatives as opposed to one viewpoint winning over another viewpoint winning. And does that mean a certain amount of compromise? Yeah, maybe, sometimes. But I think we can always come up with a more creative way of doing something that it's not as much of a compromise. It's something that we all can agree to. So um, I think I would agree with, with vision, but I just – strongly dislike that quote because I think that quote is basically, he's basically saying like, take your strongly held beliefs and like, forget them and like just get on board anyways. And I think that that's actually not a message I would say to anybody. Um, but what I would say is like, let's provide the space by which we can keep discussing this and not get so emotionally over, um, over exaggerated that we just come to blows. All right.
1: And the, the vision in the Marvel movie universe you know, if you think about it, the vision is pretty predisposed to be on Tony's side because he was Jarvis. <laughs> right. Right. That's and, you exactly know, right. you know. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're the computer, who's who's probably the most the thing you say most often is, is yes, Mr. Stark. <laughs> um, you know, there's. Yeah. So I think the, the vision might be a little predisposed that way. But,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I don't know if I can agree with anybody, but we'll go ahead and move on to our last topic here. Um, which is, uh, there's really a friendship triangle that's created here, obviously. So Bucky, Cap, and Tony, and that causes this deep rift in the Avengers and hence the name the Civil War. Now I realize we've got, we've also got the Sokovia Accords causing the Civil War, but -hmm. a lot of it's wrapped up in this friendship triangle as well. They're both kind of happening simultaneously. Um... And I think that that wraps up this entire discussion we've been having because it shows how divided we've become. So hang with me here because I've got several questions um, that we can tackle. Well, who's right here? Is Cap right to defend his longtime friend or is he taking too many liberties? And what about Tony? Is Tony struggling with his own demons because we talked about him being an alcoholic, which means he, he, has a, he sees a need for accountability because he knows he's unable to practice the self-control to the degree that he'd like in his own life? Um, What do you think what's, what's goes wrong and how do you see this being resolved in the kind of the ideal way?
1: I I think both characters, uh, Steve and Tony, I think both characters take it a little too far. Neither there, there, comes a point where neither wants to give a, give an inch. They neither wants to be flexible. You know, Tony is like, no. He's a fugitive. I've got to bring him in. This has got to go this way. We have to do this. And Steve's like, mm-hmm. he's my friend. You can't have him. There's no, there, at, at no point, had the two of them just stopped for a moment, compared notes, because they each knew something different, they probably could have come up with a solution that did not end with a with a shield sticking out of Tony's, Tony's chest. Right. Um, and we start to see that. We start to see them coming together had that last act not happened, had Zemo not released the video footage that showed Bucky killing Tony's mom, I think we would have had a completely different end of that movie.
2: Yeah,
1: that's true. We would have had, we would have had the Avengers coming together to stop the bad guy. Boom, 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 done. Adding that, that took it from this big thing about registration and accountability this big story that we had for three acts down to one. That's just about a very personal story with, with these guys. And so, yeah, if you, I think had that real, had Tony not learned that Bucky killed his mom and moreover, had he not learned that Steve already knew that, because remember, in, in Captain America Winter Soldier, Steve and the Black Widow learned that Bucky killed Tony's parents. Mm. So both Tony and Natasha have known for a while and said nothing right. The reasons for not saying anything were simple. We don't want to hurt Tony. you know they did it from a place of caring. They kept information from Tony because it would have hurt that information would have hurt him. Now of course, when Tony finds that information out and finds out that they knew, he doesn't see it that way, and, and it's a very human reaction. You know, if I found out someone was hiding something that important from me, I would have been pissed too. Right. <laughs> so I, it's it, it's so as as much as it takes them into this, these guys fighting, and um, there's a joke about Tony being beat up by 90 something ninety-something-year-old men. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, the fact that it's, it becomes it, – they literally, despite, despite the fact that there are these gro- these three grown men are fighting each other, it really devolves into a playground brawl. And that's what the final scene of this movie is. It's, because it's all about kids. It's Tony about his mom. Right. Steve about being bullied. You know, it's it just it goes back to those things that were big for them when they were children, and and that final fight scene is just a, a schoolyard brawl, and because it even ends with that's you can't keep that shield. My dad created that shield. You know, you can't. Have, you know, and it <laughs> right. devolves into that.
0: Right, right.
1: And you know, and Steve's like, fine, take you keep your toy. You, you know, I mean, if I mean, if you look at it from that perspective. And it's oh, it's brilliant writing too, because those characters, because we think of them as these larger than life superheroes, but this whole last act is just two guys, and the problems that these two guys, these two guys are fighting over the same other guy. You know, they, they there's just guy, you know, and one's his friend and one's is you know, it's just it's, it's it's oh, it's 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 a beautiful moment. It's beautiful writing, and and I think the actors. Certainly, pull it off well. It's brutal to watch, right? And um, but at the end of the day, who's right? It's hard to say. Yeah, because you can clearly, and that was a, that's one of the beauties of the movie over the comic is in the movie. I don't feel that either Tony or Steve is the bad guy, right? In the comic series Civil War, Tony was the bad guy.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Interesting. Tony, it's written in a lot. I mean, most people said, yeah for a short time there, Tony was the biggest villain in the Marvel Universe. Because after Civil War, Tony takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. He's running S.H.I.E.L.D. He's running the Defense Department. He's the guy. And he is like the biggest villain in the Marvel Universe because every bad thing that's happening, it's because Tony's making things happen. Right, right. You know, eventually all that, you know, gets changed as stories change and time changes. But whatever. But yeah, in the in the in the comic, there's no denying that Cap's the good guy. Steve's uh, Tony's the bad guy. And then in the movie, I'm torn because if I look at it from either of their point of view, they both have valid points. Yes. And and I, you know, that's that's such a smarter way to end it. And uh, and I'm curious to see what the fallout from all this will be when we get the next Avengers movie yeah and uh, or I mean I'm assuming small bits of it will play out in the like Panther movie obviously with uh Steve and and Bucky in Wakanda at the end of the movie right uh, Steve you know Steve can't quite I mean he's he's famous because uh, unlike the comics well in the comics now I think everybody knows Steve's cap but because his identity is not a secret and he's famous. He can't just return to the U S and walk around without being noticed. Right. Right. You know? So in the Marvel universe, yeah, everybody knows who Captain America is. So, so he's, he's (laughs) at the end of this, what did he lose? Well, he lost a friend in Tony. He lost the Avengers. He lost Bucky because Bucky goes back into the deep freeze.
2: Hmm.
1: He lost being Captain America, and he loses America. Right. So at the end of it, Steve has a lot, given up a lot, and a lot of this was by choice. I mean, he gave, he made that choice to give up all this stuff to save his friend. Right. And And so he's going to have to live with those decisions. Tony's got a whole list of decisions, you know. He, you know, he knows that Bucky's still out there. Is Caps? I mean, is Tony still wanting to kill Bucky? Right. Is he going to be spending his time searching for him? Is he going to realize that maybe, uh, you know, killing him's not the right? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. But these are certainly still questions that I, I would presume that uh, we're going to see at least bits of in these coming kind of movies. And yeah. yeah, it's just there's a lot there. I mean, <laughs> the. Uh, we we're left with a very different Marvel universe. I mean, uh, the Avengers are still there, but the Avengers are not as beloved as they were, say, after the first movie when they saved New York, or you know. So it's yeah, it's it's. So I'm curious to see what this darker because we're going into what is it, Phase Three, I guess, of Marvel Universe movies. Oh um, yeah, which it, which I assume is a darker bit of a darker phase. So I'm curious to see. Where they're going, and I will say, I, I'm loving the Marvel movies. Um, I've loved, loved liked all of them. Um, yes, I even liked Iron Man three because that's usually the question I get. <laughs> even Iron Man three. Yes, I liked Iron Man three. Not as much as the others, but you know. Um, but I like what they're doing, and I like the fact that if you don't watch them all, you're still good. But if you have watched them all. There's these little bitty things going in the background, yes. or these these little plots that play out, and you see this bigger thing emerging. And as a as a viewer, I love that. As a writer, I love that because I do that sort of thing too a lot um, in my stories. I have I write a lot of pulp stuff. You probably know that stuff yes. that's placed in the '30s, the '40s, and '50s. And I'm writing them for various publishers. Pulp characters quite often fight. Uh, Their their opponents were quite often mobsters. Right. So I created these two mob families that I just use every time I need a mobster. I just use someone from one of those two families because why create a new one every time? So in the back of all these stories, told out of order, is this mob war that I've established. So, like, I'll do one story that takes place in 1952.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: Two or three years later, I do another story that takes place in 1951, or something happens there that sets up the story that was released earlier. That's awesome. Or it, it's all in the background. I mean, you read them and you're fine, but the bad guys in the background are doing various things, and this is something I started doing for fun. But people started noticing, and so now <laughs> awesome. I'm, you know, now I'm trying to do it. so. And the Marvel Universe is doing the same thing. There's all these little things, these Easter eggs, or these. Small plot points, or you know, little things that they do that that they don't mean a whole lot to this movie, but when you see the next movie and you go, "Aha!" that that thing in the other movie—that's why that's what this means. And so, I love the fact that they're doing that. And I think I got completely off topic,
2: but there you go.
0: No, no, you're you're fantastic. I I I totally agree with you on. So I'll just start on on my response being a total agreement that the writing here and the storytelling is at a super high level, and this is why. I mean, you look, at, you take a look at um, Rotten Tomatoes, which I know a lot of people have issues with Rotten Tomatoes because um, they feel like they're bought and sold by Disney. But um, I think I think even if, even from the audience ratings, like they're consistently hitting like high eighties, low nineties, and I think that that's accurate. I think that these movies. Have been extremely well done, and I think, just like you talked about when you say it's really hard to choose sides, I think that's evidence of really good storytelling. Because if you if it's hard to choose sides, what you've done as a storyteller is you've you've basically created a complex film where you say I can totally see this side's um, rationale behind what they believe, and I completely see this side's rationale what they believe. I, th- I think that's why I've had a really hard time as we've talked about choosing characters. Um, I've had a tough time choosing characters because I, I agree with Cap that if they're going to have oversight, they need to be really careful about what that oversight looks like because... You know, like, um, it, just think of it in terms of the real world. I work with a lot of um, startups, whether it's like tech startups or even nonprofit startups. I work with a lot of them. And if, if you were to come in and put, like, here, now you're a 5,000-person company, you completely slow down and kill everything that those people were going to be able to do in terms of building and releasing product and and so i think of that in the case in this case as well like regulation and, and oversight will immediately slow you down you have to be careful about how you implement it because you could actually end up hurting the society or the, or the community you're trying to support um, but i also see tony's side of it and tony's side of it saying like yeah but we do need some boundaries right like we do need some accountability to somebody we can't just do whatever we want can we um, so I, I, see those points and I think that that's just evidence of excellent storytelling. Um, I will criticize them all again when it comes to the violence part. Um, I totally agree with you. It kind of devolves into this, um, schoolyard brawl, so to speak. Um, and I think it's funny cause I actually thought before that they showed the very ending of the movie, when, when they short, sort, when, um, when Cap drove the shield through uh, Tony's chest piece, mm-hmm. I thought he killed kill him. Um, that was my first impression. For for whatever reason, I thought like, oh, Tony's going to die, and you know, obviously he doesn't. Um, and I thought that was a pretty strong take. Obviously, um, but I One thought that thing. that was I thought it was it was interesting, but I felt it was still it was still like too much. Um, I think. Cap should have shown more support to Tony throughout the movie. Uh, I also think that Tony showed a complete lack of respect and understanding Cap's friendship with Bucky. Um, I thought that Tony, Tony's lack of self control in the end really bugged me because I felt that the, the dude is being mind controlled. Like this, here's a guy who it's, it's sort of like a, 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 if someone took a, a robot, which Tony should know well, obviously, with Ultron and stuff, right? Like, um, if someone took a robot and then decided that, that robot would kill your mom and dad, and it was pre-programmed to do that, even though it had been previously programmed to be their butler or something, like, you can't, you can't blame, you can't essentially blame the robot for its behavior. You blame the programmer. Um, so for Tony to take the stance of like, well, Bucky's got to go because Bucky killed my mom. It's like Bucky didn't actually kill your mom. The people who were controlling Bucky killed your mom. They used him as a tool. Bucky Um, was the gun. Yeah, exactly. They used him as a gun. So, um, so I, you know, I think, I do think that Bucky needs to be held responsible for some of his behavior in some way, shape or form. But I, and it, but I don't think that Tony's um, response is warranted in, whatever, in, in the way that he just goes about it, right? So I think that because of all of those things and because of all of that complexity, the storytelling is, like you said, just really excellent. And I think um, it sets up for future things um, really well and in a really interesting way. So I could not agree more. That's a, a, a really fun way to take it all. Um, So yeah, that's where I would end it. And I'd say, those are all my problems with it. Like don't resort to violence. You can't resort to violence unless that violence is in direct opposition to evil. Um, mm-hmm. which we don 't get as much of in this movie specifically, but we do see it in some of the other movies where I go yeah you 've got to stand up to the people who are trying to completely destroy the earth right like you 've got to fight back against them mm-hmm. um, but let 's not do that <laughs> to our friends <laughs> let 's not yeah. beat up on our friends and I think well, the movie I... does a good job of showcasing the problems with doing that, obviously, yeah. like the relationships are just completely demolished throughout this thing, so that's that 's a good message, I think.
1: I, I like what you said, too, about the knowing the, com, the complexity of the of the situation. They, they've they established these characters so well that each comes in with their little bit of bias. Yes. You know, Cap, even though he and Tony have become partners in the Avengers, and there's still that bit of Captain America that feels like he did when he first meets Tony. That's like, oh, this is a show off. This is a you know, this guy didn't take anything seriously. And he still treats Tony that way. Right, Tony. Tony comes in with a bias. He's grown up his entire life being compared to Steve Rogers. Oh, because right. he has that line. He goes, "Oh, you knew my father." I, if I, you know, I've heard that like nine million times. Right, you right. know, he's grown up. You know, and that's one of the things I'm glad they finally established. I'm surprised it took them this long to have Tony mention it in any way, shape, or form. Because I think it when the event first Avenger movie, he says something like, "This is the guy my dad was always talking about." Now, in terms of all they said, but right, right, I could, I could imagine, you know, how how that would affect Tony growing up, going, "Oh, well, you know, Captain America this and Captain America that." You know, I, I could see that. I could, I could see it. Automatically putting Tony on the opposite side of anything Steve said. Yeah, absolutely. because he he's like I'm tired of being this guy being right all the time. I'm being tired of told that this guy's perfect. Right. And um, and of course Steve, we've learned Steve is not perfect. He's not this guy. You know, that's the Captain America that the newsreel show. That's the Captain America that became the legend. Right. He's really just a guy. He's just a guy from 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 Brooklyn, right? You know, who who went off to war and came home, and the world had changed. You know, he's not much different in that respect than any other person that went off to war, fighting World War Two, and came back home. He just came home seventy some odd years later, <laughs> right? So, um, but yeah, the, the 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 characters are so so well written and so good, and the situation really works and. And one thing I've got to say, too, and I know this was because uh, a lot of people before the movie came out, and I was kind of one of them, too, was concerned because the Captain America movies outside of the first one, the Winter Soldier and Civil War, they're Captain America movies, but they're so full of all these other characters. Yes. And my fear was that this was just going to be Avengers 2.5. Right. You know? I've got to say one of the things I'm most impressed about this movie is, is even with all of these characters at no point did I not feel that this was Captain America's movie.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. They they
1: do a really good job of making sure that that it's it's his story and all these other people are part of it. But, you know, had this been Iron Man 4, I'm sure we would have seen it more from Tony's point of view. Right but I really, you know, they were good at showing both sides, but yes, at no point did I stop and think this is an Avengers movie. No, this is a captain America movie with a bunch of guest stars. Right. Right. And I I thought that was really brilliantly done.
0: I agree. I agree. It it was, it was, it was a good flick. Um, Mm -hmm. I will go ahead and wrap this episode up right there. We've had a fantastic conversation. Um, Super insightful, Bobby. You have a ton of comic book knowledge, (laughs) which I think is really great for us um, on this on this podcast, and I lack some of that, so I really appreciate you bringing that to the table. Um, thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure. This was fun. Um, I love these movies. Um, the Captain America movies are some of my favorite. Um, my favorite Marvel movie is still Winter Soldier, so it's been really cool, and I've had fun chatting about this
0: absolutely it's finally <laughs> finally in person well sort of in yes person. <laughs> sort of in person uh thank you for joining us
1: my pleasure we'll have to do this again
0: sounds good to me okay special thanks again to bobby nash for joining us today now it's your turn what do you think i would love to hear your response to this podcast are you team cap are you team stark i want to know So write us an email at ReclamationSociety at gmail.com and let us know what you think. Um, Or, speaking of having a discussion with us, we just started a Reclamation Society group on IMSY, I-M-Z-Y dot com. That's a place where you can comment on this podcast or on our Star Wars fan film or any other podcast we do. And we'd love to have you on there. It's very easy to join. It's basically just like Reddit. It's free and it's a place where we can interact with you. So please check it out. Go to imzy.com, I-M-Z-Y.com, and search for the Reclamation Society. You should find us, and then you can um, discuss on the forums there with us what you thought of this podcast and all the others. In addition, do not forget about the opportunity to purchase premium wood headphones from Urban Vinyl. I'm telling you guys, these headphones are amazing. Click the link in the description to check them out. Save 15% and support the Reclamation Society, and you get an amazing pair of headphones. Um, it's a win, win, win. I really appreciate if you check them out. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, if you liked what you heard, or even if you hated it, please give us a review on iTunes. And if you're not subscribed, please make sure to subscribe. You don't want to miss our podcasts on Luke Cage, Stranger Things, Suicide Squad, and Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. We're going to review the Ultimate Edition there. So please subscribe. You do not want to miss out on those discussions. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter. All of those links are in the show notes, in the description please consider donating to the Reclamation Society to help us make this podcast and develop some of our own original works as well. You can do that at ReclamationSociety.org slash give. Okay, final special thanks to Bobby Nash for joining us this week. And until next time, question everything in the stories you read, watch, and listen to, and seek the truth.